You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. My name is Reed Brown. I'm one of the elders here at Mill Creek. Our passage this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 49. Uh, We'll be reading an excerpt of that, verses 12 through 19 together. It can be found on page 595 of the Bibles in the pew backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please feel free to take that as a gift from us. Luke 6, verses 12 through 19. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would become a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning to worship you. Please be with Jeremy as he preaches your word, and we ask that you give us soft hearts to hear and respond to your message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Reed. Over 4,000 years ago, there was a man a man of God who went up a mountain to meet with God, pray to God, to learn God's heart for his people. That man spent time up on the mountain. He came down and he looked over what were God's people delineated into 12 groups, 12 men's names, separating the people of God into distinct tribes. And this man of God, over 4,000 years ago, who'd spent time on a mountain, came down to tell these 12 groups of God's people how to live. It was... God's law for God's people. We just heard Mr. Reed walk us through verses 12 to 19. And and to introduce the sermon today, I want you to notice that in our text, which is roughly 2,000 years ago, we again have God's man on a mountain... Praying, coming down that mountain and identifying 12 who will set apart God's people 
And as we see a new and better Moses with a true 12, what would we expect this man to do? But to speak God's new law for his new people. This morning we have quite a task in front of us with such a vast amount of scripture. You'll see if you've got one of our sermon handout notes that on the back is font size 5 so that we can get all the text on one page. My apologies to those of you who have eyesight failing like mine. It's, you're going to need glasses sooner or later. I actually asked them, though, to put all of the text on there so that you would understand while we only are reading the first of the two sections, we will be covering it all. There are two sections in our text today, if you were curious. There is this introduction, God's man on God's mountain, coming down, identifying 12, and then there is a new law. Here is how God's new people are to live. Now, some of you are sharp in your thinking. Are you really going to preach a sermon about Jesus preaching a sermon? <laughs> and I am. Because that's how we do it around here. The day I stand up and go, you know, this part of the text is kind of goofy or it's hard, and I'm just going to skip over that, it may be the the, the day I don't have a job any longer. So, yep, we're going to preach the text and we're going to walk through this next section just like we do every week here. We take the next section of the text and we walk through it. And functionally then what I've done is covered verses 12 to 19 here in the introduction so that you know how that fits. And then for the rest of the sermon, we're going to talk about Jesus' sermon. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's wanting everybody to know I am the new and better Moses, and I have come for a new 12, and I am calling my people. And if you want to be part of my new people, here then is how you live. But here's the problem. Here's the challenge. M Moses had this challenge. 4,300 roughly years before today, Moses came down and he told the people, this is how God wants you to live. And there would have been people in that group, a million, two million strong, who would have sat there and said, this is God's man giving us God's word. And I am hearing it. I must be in. But of course, not everybody who heard Moses' sermon was in the people of God. Because you can read it for yourself. They fell away. There were rebellions. People died. Just because you heard Moses speak the sermon did not mean you were in. And so it is in our text. In Luke 6, there are people listening. Notice it says there's a great crowd. There are disciples and there are the 12 apostles. There are people who are listening to Jesus' sermon who could be thinking to themselves, oh, this is the God-man. Giving me Jesus, giving me God's new law, I must be in. But in fact, even Judas, one of the twelve, is not in. The problem for Moses, the, the problem for Moses, the problem for Jesus, the, the problem for us today is you can hear this sermon 
to the degree I'm faithful to this text, it really is God's word for you. And you could sit here and think, I'm hearing God's word. I'm here with God's people. I must be in. And yet, you might be wrong as well. How then do we know if we're really in? How would we know if we're truly God's people and going to be with God someday? That's exactly what Jesus' sermon does. And that's exactly where Jesus is going to go. In Jesus' sermon then, picking up in verse 20 all the way to the end of 49, Jesus is going to help us know whether we're in or not. And what Jesus does then with four points, three headers and an application, which if you're going to preach a sermon, that's not a bad structure. If you have a problem with it, take it up with the guy who did it. He's going to give us three points and an application, so that's the way this is going to work. I'm going to give you three points and an application, trying to stay as faithful to Jesus' sermon as I can. We're just going to walk through it. Let me show you what Jesus has said, and then we'll finish with, well, am I really in? Am I really part of God's people? Because it's not enough just to hear God's man speaking to God's people, God's law. You've actually got to do what he says. Well, let's dig in to see who's really in. Go to 620, and let's see the first of four big ideas. The first of four big ideas. Jesus is going to give us new blessings and woes. From verse 20 to 26, Jesus is giving us new blessings and woes. And notice that he starts with four blessings and four woes, and they're all connected. The four blessings and four woes are all connected. In fact, let me just read. Pick up with me at verse 20. Follow along. 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And here's the connection point. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I'm hoping as you see this first section, you see how the four blessings and the four woes are connected. And they bring to mind Moses in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, when he stood up in the Old Testament and gave some blessings and woes. Here then, Jesus bringing the new law. But, but the challenge, of course, is Jesus is calling the stuff we want bad, the woes and the stuff that we think are blessing. He's saying, no, 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 stay away from those. I mean, who here actually woke up this morning and thought, today I just pray, Lord, you'd make me hungry and sad. And, and people would really hate me today because I'm blessed if that would happen. No, of course not. Nobody here wants to be hungry. Got donut holes to help you with that. <laughs> now, all of us, we want to be rich, we want to be full, we want to have a good day, we want people to say nice things about us. I've long thought 
dream job would be the publisher clearinghouse guy who gets to take the check to the house and they love me. I'm just bringing good news. You rich. What Jesus is saying, though, is if you're going to be my people, you are going to be very different than the rest of the world. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my people, we, we swim upstream. Our values are different than everybody else's. Jesus' new people are completely countercultural. That's what Jesus is starting with here. And while that makes our life very difficult in the short term, our reward is going to be great in the long term. The truly blessed someday isn't who you would guess today. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you want a summary for his first point of his sermon, you could write that down. The truly blessed someday, Jesus says, isn't who you would guess today. Because you look today and you go, man, that person's poor. That person's hungry. That person's mourning. That person is being spoke ill of. If you're doing that in the name of Jesus, you're going to be blessed someday. But pastor, 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 you got to be kidding. You don't really think Jesus wants me to be actually poor. I mean, we're just talking spiritual, right? Because, and you could do this. You know, Job had a lot of money. Abraham, he was like pretty rich. King David had a great 401k. So it's not like God actually wants me to be poor and hungry. We're just talking spiritual, right? I would say. Of course, spiritually, God wants us to be poor. We, we don't come to God like, hey, look how loaded I am spiritually, God. Aren't you glad I'm on your team now? Of course, he does want us spiritually poor and hungry and mourning our sin, etc., etc. And yet, if you are to strip this section of legitimate meaning and try to separate the material from the spiritual... I think you're doing disservice to God's word. If you take the simple, straightforward words at their value that Jesus is saying, which, by the way, is always a great way to read the Bible, what is the most simple, clear, straightforward way of understanding this text? If we do that, we have no reason to separate the spiritual from the material. Meaning, let's not damage the text to make ourselves feel really comfortable living in Johnson County, so affluent. By the way, even the poorest in this part of the world is in the top 1% of the entire globe. So even if you're here and you're like, well, I'm not very rich comparatively, I promise you compare yourself to the population of the world, you're doing just fine. I think Jesus' people are to actually embrace this teaching, which means Jesus' new people are not looking for blessings today. Jesus' people embrace an upside-down, counter-cultural vision for 
tomorrow. We know this is not our home. So we're not trying to make ourselves as comfortable in this temporary blessed, this temporary place. It's like going camping out for a couple nights and trying to bring all your trinkets and all your stuff to make your tent really decorated. Like, what are you doing? We're going home tomorrow. So instead of setting our hearts on what this world offers, the new people of Jesus look to his coming kingdom where we will find the satisfaction we really long for. And woe to all who have cashed in too soon. Because coming someday, you are not going to receive what God has promised. As for today, know this. The truly blessed isn't who you would guess today. The truly blessed someday isn't who you'd guess today. Jesus' first point, surely convicting. Move to Jesus' second point where he's talking about our relationship to enemies. We're going to get challenged again. Jesus' new way with enemies runs from verses 27 to 36. Let me read it so we're all up to speed with what he says. 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This section, the, the, the new way that God's people are relate to enemies, has four commands right at the top. Four blessings and woes. Previous point, this one's got four commands. Circle them on the... Sheet, write them down if you like, if you're taking notes. Here they are. Love, do good, bless, pray. In a nutshell, what's Jesus saying? Four positive commands. Here's how you treat your enemies. Love them. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. And by the way, the tense in the original language is present, meaning it ain't one and done. <laughs> oh, I know I didn't like that either. <laughs> I just had to do that this one time. <laughs> I did it, Lord. Blessed be your name. <laughs> no, it's a habit. This is how we habitually are to treat our enemies. And the love here that Jesus talks about 
is agape love. You, you may know that in our language, we have the word love, and then we put everything we mean to in one big bucket. And that's how we get away with saying, I love Taco Bell, and I love my wife. For them, they'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you love Taco Bell, huh? Hmm, okay. In the original language, three words for love. One was phileo love, brotherly love, the kind of love best friends have. That's Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, phileo love. There's also the word for love of husband and wife, eros. The word erotic comes from that root, eros, love husband and wife. The, the word of love used here is agape. Would you guys say agape? One, two, three. Agape love is what Jesus is using here. And, and agape love here is deep and sacrificial and unending. And, and that makes sense because the very the very motivation that Jesus gives his people who would be saying, how in the world am I going to love my enemies? He says, I mean, even sinners are nice to sinners. That's nothing. What, what something is to love like your father loves you. Because remember how God the Father loved. God the Father was merciful. God the Father is kind to the ungrateful and evil. That's agape love. And Jesus is saying, this is the kind of love we are to have for our enemies. Because it's the kind of love the Father had for us when we were his enemies. But again, the problem is, ain't none of us wanting to do this naturally. I mean, if somebody comes and punches me in the face between services, my impulse is to punch you in the face. And I'm learning that's not okay. <laughs> okay if, I, if, I, if it's a cold day and I've got my hoodie on and my coat on and somebody takes my coat, I don't want to give you my hoodie. I'm cold and I bought it. I mean, you know this, right? You ever seen a little kid in a sandbox with a Tonka truck? He's playing with it. Some kid takes it away from him. No, this is just my kid. He takes the Tonka trunk and goes... <laughs> I didn't have to teach him to do that. That was, and, and this is why this is such a countercultural message. Again, Jesus is saying, my people don't live like this world. We, we swim upstream. We are, our values are upside down. Jesus' new people live in a countercultural way. The truly blessed someday, Jesus is saying, are those who bless their enemies today. If you want to synthesize Jesus' second point in a sentence, there it is. The truly blessed someday are those who love their enemies today. Well, we're two points in to Jesus's. Four-point sermon, and about the only people unconvicted in here, I would guess, are those of you who just having a nice nap. <laughs> but for the rest of us, good grief. He's only halfway done. Let's move to Jesus' third point. Moving from how does 
somebody that is in God's new family? How are, we've talked about, we've talked about enemies. Now we're going to talk about how do we actually relate to one another here in the faith community. And this is just two verses. It's 37 and 38. So Jesus' third point moves a little quicker. Let me just, again, read 37 and 38 so we're all up to speed. 37, Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Again, if you're looking at this text, if you've got that little sermon handout with a five-point font on the back, you could circle the four commands of this third section. Again, Jesus is using four commands. Judge not. Condemn not. Forgive. And give. Which, uh, P.S., have you noticed that in, that in this sermon by Jesus, he's, he's been using the fours? He's got four ideas, and in the first point he had four, and the second point he had four, and this one he's got, he's got four uh, in preaching land. We call that substructure. And uh, I had this whole interlude that I had planned to talk to you guys about preaching substructure, and I preached this sermon in practice, and they all said, just don't do that. And so um, I won't, but I just want to say, if that geeks anybody out out there, and you're just like, oh, tell me more about substructure, boy, would you find me, and let's have a donut and talk, because I just, oh, preaching substructure, man, there it is. Okay, that's all I can say about that to move on. To the point at hand, Jesus is saying, if you're inside my community, here's how you relate to one another. I heard somebody say, in Jesus' new people, what we would call the true church, capital T, capital C, the true church. If you're one of Jesus' people, we, we don't scratch your back so you scratch mine behavior. We don't do that. We, we love with no strings attached. If we're in here, it's not, well, I kind of hook you up if you hook me up. No, that, that's not how we work here. We are to judge not, condemn not, forgive, and give. And if we, if we love that way, if we care for one another that way, we are going to have this incredible gift, uh, overflowing generosity will be ours and it will be others. And, and that's the illustration that is used here in 38. It's, it's like flower illustration. And, and in those days, if you were going to get a cup of flour or whatever measurement they used, they, they would... They would take the flour and they would shake it so that there was no air pockets in their measuring cup. And then they would pack it down so that they could give you as much. And then they'd put a little bit extra on it so that if you were, you know, having a little shirt or wherever you're carrying the flour. And when they poured in, you got more than was the minimum. And, and Jesus is saying, just like they do that with flour, that's what will happen to you. You will be treated generously just as you generously give. And that rounds out what Jesus means with this idea of not judging and not condemning. But, but at this point, we just got to say something about this judging verse. Because as it turns out, in, in my view, in, in many people's view, this idea of judge not has become the world's most famous verse. 
There are so many people who don't read their Bible, they don't consider them Christian, themselves Christians, but they know this verse, don't you judge. And that thing just gets quoted at us all day long, weaponized against us. And, and I just want to make sure you understand, I've walked you through where we're at in Jesus' sermon. He is talking to his people. And, and he is telling us that with one another, we're not to judge and condemn one another in a hypercritical way, which, which is very different than looking at the sin of murder in the broader world and saying, thou shalt not murder. Okay, I just want to make sure you guys get this, church. If you were to say to a person, the Bible says not to murder, and they said, oh, I'm so offended because I murdered somebody, you're not being judgmental by saying God calls that wrong. In fact, in Matthew 5, a parallel text to this, Jesus says, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder. In fact, you should not even hate your brother. Hating your brother is the same as violating that commandment in a heart. So we are not judgmental to tell somebody, God says murder is wrong. That's just clarifying God's heart for the world. Because right here in this section is not how to relate to the world when it comes to the Ten Commandments. This is how do we relate to one another. And so the other parallel verse where Jesus says, uh, you shall not commit adultery, like that's, that's not being judgmental to tell the world, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's God's plan. And because Jesus continues in Matthew 5, if you even lust, that's the same as committing adultery. Thou shalt not do that. Christians aren't being judgmental by actually calling sin what it is in the world. But for those here in the church, in the true church, what Jesus is teaching is, we are not to be hypercritical and judgmental of one another. That's, where, that's what this actually means. It's for us. We are to be generous, not condemning. I love the way Edward says it in the pillar commentary on this section. He says it better than me. Here's the quote. Do not judge is thus not a command to refrain from ethical evaluation or spiritual discernment, but a warning against a fault-finding and severely critical spirit that binds rather than liberates others in the faith community. I hope this is clarifying. We are not to be spending our spiritual energy telling everyone else about all their problems that we perceive they have in the church. Jesus doesn't want his new people to walk around like functional Christian police giving everyone citations. Notice you took six donuts instead of four there. Wrote you up a little citation. Make sure you pay extra tithe this week. I'll be checking. Instead of being most concerned with everyone else's sins, in the faith community, we are to be most concerned with our sins first. I love how Daryl Bach makes this point. The call of the sermon is that one should not be preoccupied with the spiritual condition of others, but be diligent about one's own righteousness. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. The truly blessed someday are those who are not judgmental today. Inside the faith community, the truly blessed someday are those who are not judgmental today. And man, does this sting. 
I don't know if it stings you, but this is the hardest punch I'm taking from Jesus in this sermon. And, and just in case you think I'm up here just delivering the mail and I don't read it myself, we can talk afterwards after we have our substructure sermon conversation, of course. But after that, I'm happy to tell you about counseling that I've been in for more than a year. And this is like the thing that I'm having to work on. This is where God's owning me. And I've just had to confess to my wife and the elders and others, I just have carried a hypercritical, judgmental spirit about Christians. And I just want you to know that, that I'm working too, and that if you feel like this sermon might be working you over, well, just join the club with me. I'm not up here having perfected any of this. I need the most help here. But it's true. The truly blessed someday are those who are not judgmental today. That's what Jesus is saying. And now we've made it through Jesus' three main sermon points. And he's turning for home. He's, he's moving to application. And this then is the final point. Here, here's what I would call Jesus' application, if you're tracking with his sermon. Jesus' new people obey. Look with me at verses 39 and 49, if it's in front of you. You may notice here, in this last section, he's going to give a few stories, a few parables. In fact, anyone want to guess how many stories or parables he's going to use? Substructure, baby. Mm. First parable, 39 and 40, is about blind men falling into a pit. What Jesus is saying there is this. If you hear me but don't obey me, you are like the blind leading the blind and you're going off a cliff. If you hear but don't obey, you don't see but those who hear Jesus, who adopt his way, you can see, and you will be like the teacher. If you hear and obey, you'll be like Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants for his people, to hear and obey. Jesus explaining those who listen and obey have true spiritual sight. That's what that first one's about. Second one, why are you worrying about a speck in somebody else's eye when you have a log in your own? And I just think the sarcasm is wonderful in this part. Jesus saying to his people, your friend got a splinter in their eye? Telephone pole boy? Oh, did you notice the speck of the little splinter? And you've got this thing happening in your brain. Those who hear and obey Jesus. Which, which is the answer to this Big question Jesus is working on. Remember, just like people listen to Moses, they might have thought, I'm in because I'm hearing Moses. No, 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 you're not just in because you hear him. And, and same for Jesus, same for us. Just because you hear God's word doesn't mean you're in. So we're trying to answer the question, how do I know if I'm in? Jesus is saying here, if you really listen and obey me, you're really in, then you will think about your sin first. You'll think about your sin as the worst. And you'll worry about your sin the most. That's what he's saying here. If you hear and obey me, if you're really in my people, you're worried about your sin first. You're thinking your sin's the worst. And you're worried about your sin the most. I, I didn't think of that quote, but I sure wish I had, so. Third contrast, 
43 to 45 are two trees. And, and, and this one's simple enough. If a tree is not producing good fruit, don't call it good. Thorn bushes don't produce figs because a thorn bush is a bad tree. A, a bramble bush doesn't produce grapes, so don't call it a good grape tree. Good trees have good fruit. Jesus' point here, number three, those who listen and obey have good fruit. So, so if you're sitting here wondering, well, how, how do I know if I'm in? Well, here's a question. Do you have good fruit in your life? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? I don't know that I have the fruit of the Spirit. Well, then don't be calling it good. Those who listen and obey have good fruit. Fourth, two homes. One on a solid foundation, one not. Jesus explaining storms are coming. And when the storm comes, it will reveal whether you've listened and obeyed or not. Those who listen and obey have foundation in Christ. Verse 46 then, the culmination of everything Jesus has been aiming for. Clarifying that just because we're hearing God's word today doesn't mean we're going to be blessed someday. So how do we know? The truly blessed someday are those who listen and obey Jesus today. And that's what I think is Jesus' sermon in a sentence. The truly blessed someday listen and obey Jesus today. Here then is Jesus' sermon. Jesus is concerned, just like Moses would have been, that there's people listening to him who actually are not going to hear and obey, and that's our challenge today. You've showed up here, so I trust that you're motivated to some degree to want to know whether you're in God's new people, and the way you can evaluate that, the litmus test for you is this, do you hear and obey Because who we think is going to be blessed someday isn't necessarily who we would pick today. But, but having then walked through the sermon, perhaps you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, man, I, now I see what's happening in Luke 6. And I'll actually even grant the premise that this is exactly what's happening. Jesus is the new Moses bringing a new law, and I want to be in God's family. But, but pastor, I fail. I'm not this kind of a person. If, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, those blessings and woes, man, that gets me because I actually don't want the stuff that Jesus said. Or if you're sitting there thinking, I don't love my enemies the way Jesus said he wants us to love our enemies. If you're sitting there thinking, I am hypercritical like you, man. And like, what do I do if I'm not hearing and obeying Jesus and I just keep failing? What do I do? Well, here's the best part of the sermon for you. It's verse 35. Look at your father. Look at God the Father, who is merciful and kind to his enemies. See, if you're here struggling to hear and obey Jesus, the good news for you is God has mercy for you, and he will forgive you. So repent, 
God, I am not living the way you want me to live. I'm failing miserably. Mercy. And we see this mercy most ultimately at the cross where Jesus died for the ungodly. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the great news for you if you're here and struggling with this. In a way similar to Moses, who was a mediator between God and God's people, in a way similar to Moses, who, who said to God, do not smite them and wipe them out, Jesus came. But he didn't just mediate, he actually laid his life down on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice. So if you fail at this, Christian, rest in, rest in the Father's mercy. For any who walked in and you would say, man, I'm not even a Christian. I'm, I'm not even a Christian. What about me? I would say, you need to take the first step and repent of not living as God would desire you to live. And again, Romans 5.8 5, is in play for you. God demonstrates his great love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right now, through this text, Christ is inviting you to join his people. And he would love for you to join his people. So do. For the rest of us, we must understand Jesus really expects his new people to listen and obey this sermon. See, Jesus actually expects me in this text to repent of my judgmentalism, to repent of it, and to live in his new way charitably, benefit of the doubt to others. And he expects the same of you. So let us not shrink this sermon of Jesus to only mean that we have to repent. Understand, Jesus really expects you to obey what he has said here. He really expects us to obey, that we would be his new people. So church, are you, are you listening and will you obey? Will you continue to hear and do what Jesus says. Because many turned away from Moses. Many turned away from Jesus. Many may turn away in coming days. What will you do? The way of Christ is not intuitive. It is countercultural. It is swimming upstream. Our value system is upside down. But the truly blessed someday is not who you would guess today. The truly blessed someday love their enemies today. The truly blessed someday are not judgmental today. The truly blessed someday are those who hear and obey Jesus today. Hey, pray with me. Lord, thanks for the opportunity to read, understand your words, and I pray, Spirit, you would do that, and you would build up your people. Save those who don't know you. Draw those of us who do to love and trust you. In Christ's name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.